Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our studies in the life of Christ. And we are currently going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we start chapter 7 this morning, the last chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. The message this morning that Jesus wants to give us is counsel against criticism. Counsel against criticism or judgment. Looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. And as we begin chapter 7 and we move on here, Jesus continues to cover some everyday subjects, much needed subjects. They have to do with men in every age and every culture. And once again, this shows us how relevant the Bible is to us today and to people in every age. No book has ever been so useful and helpful to so many people for so long a time. And it will continue to be practical until Jesus returns because we are going to need the word of God until he returns and we are like him. So until he returns to set up his kingdom, we're going to need the Bible. The Bible is not obsolete. It needs no revision. As a matter of fact, it's more up to date today than the news that we hear every day. The subject of our lesson this morning is the judging of others, but it deals especially with the problem of wrong judging, wrong judging of people. Judgment, uh, wrong judgment is judgment that's intentionally and excusably wrong. When an individual or a group of people come up with their own standards for religion and morality, like our world has today. They usually judge everyone by those self-made beliefs and standards. And that's exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees have done. Over the previous several centuries, they had little by little revised God's revealed word to suit their own thinking, preferences, and abilities. That's exactly what the world is doing to the church today or trying to do. To tell us how we should think about things that they have no problem with abortion homosexuality um, divorce the world has its own standards and they're trying to get us to conform to those standards and God says we're not to do that he's revealed his word to us and we are to stick and stay steadfast to his word by the time that Jesus came their traditions had taken such a hold on Judaism that it had actually replaced the authority of God's word in the minds of many Jews. And along with many other sins that result from their self-righteousness, the scribes and the Pharisees had become harshly, harshly judgmental. They proudly looked down on everyone who wasn't a part of their little elite system. They were unmerciful. They were unforgiving They were unkind, they were hypercritical, and they were totally lacking in compassion and grace. The way they evaluated other people, like every other part of their hypocritical system, was based on appearances, on the outward and superficial. They lived to justify themselves in the eyes of other men. But Jesus told them that their judgment was totally contrary to God's. And it was detestable in his sight. 
And it, it needs to be mentioned that this passage has wrongly been used to suggest that believers should never evaluate or criticize anybody for anything. How many times have you been told when you've tried to share something that's wrong in your brother or sister's life or somebody else's life? Don't judge me. Bible says you're not to judge me. Well, we're going to see exactly what that means this morning, what Jesus says about that. The day again that we live in, it hates truth. And especially when it comes to theological and spoken truths. And such simplistic interpretation gives people a convenient escape from dealing with confrontation. Paul said in Galatians 4.16 to the Galatians who were at one time, they were, you know, they were brothers and friends. He says, have I therefore become, become your enemy because I tell you the truth? It seems that on a second trip to Galatia by Paul, some of the church members that were there had already come under the influence of the Judaizers. And they started to doubt the truth of salvation by faith alone that Paul had taught them which they had learned and accepted from the Apostle Paul. The gospel of legalism had become more attractive to them than the gospel of grace. And the Apostle Paul, who had been their beloved friend, had now become like an enemy to them because he was giving them the truth of God. A lot of people appreciate a preacher or a teacher only as long as he says what they want to hear. The confused and defecting believers in Galatia had once greatly admired Paul, but now they looked on him as their enemy for the very reason that he confronted them with the truth of God's word, the gospel, which had saved them. And he confronted the false teaching of the Judaizers, which led them back into the bondage of legalism. And many people today in our modern society, including many professing Christians, tend to resist dogmatism or standing firmly upon the word of God and strong convictions about what's right and what's wrong. A lot of people would rather talk about oh, all-inclusive love, compromise, togetherness, unity, live and let live. To today's religious person, those are the only doctrines that they want to hear and that they want to support. And they're the doctrines that every conflicting doctrine must be gotten rid of. You see, if the world's doctrine, if the Bible conflicts with the world's doctrine, they want to get rid of biblical doctrine. And they come out hard against it. And in many groups, even some evangelical groups, those who hold to strong convictions and who speak up for those convictions and confront society and the church with those strong biblical convictions, they're accused of breaking this command not to judge. And they're labeled as troublemakers or at best as controversial. Yet at no time in history of the church or of ancient Israel was spiritual and moral reformation achieved without some kind of confrontation and conflict. God's prophets have always been bold. They've always been controversial. They've always been steadfast when it comes to the word of God. And they've always been resisted, even and often by God's own people. 
The whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to show the complete difference between true and false religion, between spiritual truth and spiritual hypocrisy. And Jesus places God's perfect and holy standards beside the whole unholy and self-righteous standards of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus says that those who follow those unholy and self-righteous standards have no part in the kingdom of God. No more controversial or judgmental sermon has ever been preached than the Sermon on the Mount. If this greatest sermon preached by our Lord Jesus teaches us anything, it teaches us that his followers are to be discerning and perceptive in what they believe and in what they do. That they must make every effort to judge between truth and falsehood, between the uh, internal and the external, between what's real and what's fake, between true, uh, true righteousness and false righteousness. In short, between God's way and all other's ways. The priests, it says, in Ezekiel 44, 23 through 24, the priests were, it says here, to teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, that is, in disagreements, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. Notice that. God said that his people were to know the difference between holy and holy, to be able to discern between clean and unclean. And in controversy, they were to stand as judges and they were to judge things according to God's word. You want to put an end to controversy? Read what God has to say. Plain and simple. You want to know what's right? Read God's word. Somebody wrote, To many people, the word of God is, to everyone it should be, an end to all controversy. His word is right. And what doesn't match with what God's word says, it's wrong. It's that simple. No controversy. It's over. So let's begin now with verse 1 of chapter 7. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. Fallen human nature, as it is, it's full of pride, it's full of rebellion. It's full of self-righteousness. And it usually doesn't like to be told what not to do. We don't like to be told what to do or what not to do. Don't dislike the do nots. The shout nots. That you find in the Bible. Why? They're, They're for our own good. It wouldn't be a good thing if we didn't have negative commands in God's word and in our life. What is one of the first things we have to teach our children when they're little? (laughs) No. It's the first word they seem to say when they start to be able to speak. No. We've got to teach them no. Because that, that, that sinful spirit, as cute as they are, it comes out right away. It's one of the first things they learn. Other, other, mine might be the other one. No and mine. When you find negative commands in Scripture, they will bring blessings if you obey them. If God says, do not do something, you will be blessed if you don't do it. And that's a lot of times why many people's lives are in such chaos because they don't obey the no's that God gives them. They'd rather do it their own way or think they know better and they mess their lives up. 
There are verses in the Bible that are misinterpreted, but probably not as much as this one. And yet a lot of people are ready to throw it out right away as they interpret it to apply to them. And it's used to attack anybody who dares to speak out against some sin or against a group that's in favor of some evil. If you attack some evil or some philosophy, someone is surely going to accuse you of judging them. What they're saying is that you, based on this text, can't judge their motives. But that's ridiculous. And the text doesn't say that at all. Think about it. If we can't judge motives, our judicial system would have an impossible job. What's, the, what's one of the first things that, 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 that the lawyer wants to, to say when, when a crime is committed? Let's look at their motives. Did they have a motive to do what they did? And they look at the motives. If what Jesus said here is that we're not to judge at all, then it contradicts Scripture, contradicts scripture in many other places in the Bible. For example, in Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus said, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. Well, how do we know who are the hogs and the dogs? We've got to judge. To obey what Jesus said, we're going to have to judge those people regarding their character. Also, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20, Jesus exhorts us to judge the fruit. But if we're not allowed to judge, then we can't judge the fruit. We, are, we, we, we can't judge a person's final destination when it comes to the kingdom, of, you know, comes to eternity. But we are to be fruit inspectors. Well, the scripture tells us that you, you'll know a tree by its fruit. And it says a bad tree can't grow good fruit and a good tree can't grow, grow good fruit. But we can inspect that fruit to know whether it's good and bad. Then in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul said to prove all things. In Ephesians 5.11, Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. 1 John 4.1 says, test the spirits whether they are of God. If we can't judge, then it would make it impossible to condemn error and false doctrine. John the Baptist in Matthew 3.8, when the scribes and the Pharisees were, you know, confronting him about being uh, baptism, what he told them, he says, he told them, bear fruits worthy of repentance. You know what he was saying? Prove to me you're a believer. He was requiring fruit to show that we're believers. He says, these stones I can turn into, you know, believers. These stones I can turn into whatever. Show me fruit that tells me you're a Christian. It would prohibit, prohibit anyone from applying for the office of a minister or judge if we couldn't judge their character. So if that was the case, then as Job said, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. Job 9.24, if we couldn't judge and we just let everybody and anybody, you know, have a position in the church or wherever, then we just, we, it turned the, just turned the, everything over to the wicked. Heresy then would flourish. 
wrongdoing would abound more and more. Now, the correct meaning of judge not means this. To pronounce judgment, to subject to censure of those who act the part of judges or arbiters in the matters of common life or who pass judgment on the deeds and words of others universally and without reason. Jesus tells us not to judge prejudicially, which means to judge incorrectly, not according to facts, but according to feelings or personal interests or to preferences. Having a prejudice or a bias for, 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 for or especially against, tending to injure or impair, leading to premature judgment or unwarranted opinion. That's what it means, judge not. It means faulty judgment. Judging itself is not what Jesus is condemning here. He's not condemning judging. He's condemning faulty judgment. That's what Jesus is forbidding here. Look at verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with, that, and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. The warning here is that if you judge incorrectly based on faulty judgment, based on your preference or your opinions or your feelings, you will be judged the same way. If you're faulty in your judgment, you will be judged prejudicially. And this judgment isn't limited to earthly things, earthly dealings. We can't ignore the divine action in this judgment. Because it's said about God in Psalm 18, 25, and 26, with, merciful, uh, with the merciful, you shall show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you'll show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. Now, this doesn't mean that God is unholy in the way he deals with man. Rather, it simply means that God will allow you to reap what you have sown. That is, if you practice faulty judgment... Don't be surprised if you experience the same thing. Three times Jesus gives the warning in verses 1 and 2 about faulty judgment. And again, we see repetition in Scripture. And as we mentioned it in our last lesson, it emphasizes the fact that we are slow to learn and we need to hear the message repeated over and over again. So when a message is repeated, it's not done for just no reason. It's done to show the importance of the message and to strongly enforce us to pay attention to what's being said. The problem with faulty judgment isn't a small problem. And it needs, incorrect, uh, it, it needs correcting in the believer's heart. So you see, we need to give the rightful attention to this warning that Jesus is giving us here. Let's look at what he says now in verses 3 and 4. Jesus says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, <clears throat> a plank is in your own. So this shows us that Jesus is not judging, is not against judging itself, but is against wrongdoing. Here, Jesus doesn't tell us not to judge others, but he tells us how not to judge others when we are judging other people. When we judge critically, we also show an, accurate, an inaccurate view of ourselves. All three false views 
are connected. When we have a wrong view of God, we can't help but have a wrong view of our others, of others and ourselves. Putting ourselves in God's place as judge distorts our perception of other people and of ourselves. Jesus starts out by asking why. Why? Verse 3 knows, and why? And why do you judge? It shows us, when he asks that question, why? It shows us the, us, us the absurdity in what he asked. Again, notice verse 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you see somebody else's faults when you've got this huge thing that, that, that's blocking the vision in your eye? That's why I said, why? He says, it's crazy. Why is asked? Because the hypocritical action described in Jesus' question, there in verses 3 through 4, is so contrary to common sense. It's absolutely ridiculous thinking. He's saying, how can you see to take a speck in somebody else's eye? How how can you see to take it out when your vision is so clouded by this huge log, this beam that's stuck in your own eye? He's saying it's absurd and it's wicked behavior. And Jesus describes sin a lot differently than men usually do. Men like to polish it up. Society loves to call it by nice names to make it, you know, more palatable, more acceptable to us, more understanding. But Jesus shows us sin for what it really is, wicked, loathsome, and abominable. And in what Jesus said here, his statement gives us an example of judging incorrectly. He doesn't dress it up here to make it look pretty and acceptable. But he strongly and powerfully exposes it. He shows sin as a great cover for good behavior. You see, if we want the right view of sin, we'll need to go to the word of God. Because the world is definitely not giving it to us. They are not giving us the view of sin. The world has given nice names for the things that God calls sin. Alcoholism, drunkenness today is an addiction. Abortion is the right to choose. Homosexuality is an alternative lifestyle. Lust is an addiction. Here in what Jesus said, there are four ways of judging wrongly that Jesus rebukes. First of all, we are not to judge hypocritically. Hypocritically. Jesus tells us we need holy character to qualify for judging others. Now, not everyone is fit to rebuke others, especially those who are guilty of the same sin that they would rebuke in somebody else. The speck that Jesus talks about here in these verses, the speck was made out of the same material as the plank which tells us that the sin of the hypocritical rebuker here was the same as the kind that was in the one that's being rebuked, only it was a lot bigger in size. 
But you see, these criticizers, these, these, these that make judgment, they ignore their own sin in spite of how great it is because, you see, they're blind to it. They can't see it. Prejudice or faulty judgment blinds them to their great hypocrisy. Sin blinds the sinner. And it especially blinds the sinner to his own sin more than it does to the sin of others. We have a great example of that in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Remember when David was, 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 uh, uh, was uh, Nathan told him a story about that man that, that stole the little lamb? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David had been covering his sins of adultery and murder and deceit for about six months. You know, acting like nothing happened. Bathsheba's baby, the one between him and, and Bathsheba, was about to be born. Nathan now had to confront David about his sin. Now, that wasn't an easy job that the Lord had given Nathan to do. But it's obvious that Nathan carefully prepared for what he had to do for his encounter with the guilty king. And in telling a story about the crime of someone else, Nathan prepared David for dealing with his own sins. David, uh, Nathan, Nathan was catching David off guard. And that way he could study the king's response and better know what to do next. And since David had been a shepherd himself, he would listen closely to what Nathan had to say. And David would pay close attention to a story about somebody else stealing an innocent lamb. And David being king, well, hey, he was responsible. I mean, he was, it was his duty so, uh, to, to, to bring justice. It was his duty to see that poor families were given justice. So God directed Nathan to choose his words carefully so that they would remind David of what he had said and what he had done in his sin. So Nathan said that the little ewe lamb that was stolen, he tells David, it ate out of his own, you know, it it ate of his own food and, and it drank of his own cup and it lay in his bosom. You know, the owner of that lamb. That lamb ate out of his food. That lamb ate out of his cup, uh, drank out of his cup. That, that, that lamb laid in his bosom. But it wasn't until Nathan told David about the rich man stealing and killing the lamb that David showed any response. And then David was angry at another man's sins. David says, surely that man should die. David didn't seem to realize that he was that rich man and that Uriah was the poor man and that Bathsheba was the ewe lamb that he had stolen. David passed harsh judgment on that man, on that rich man, without realizing that he was passing judgment on himself. Of all blindness there is, the worst kind is that which makes us blind to others. Because so many people don't even know their own character. They think they know themselves. David was one of those people. It is so easy to to be convicted about and judge other people's sin. And you see, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us here. And then the words in verse 4, let me. When that person says, who has the, the beam in their eye says, oh, let me take that speck out of yours, shows his meddling. 
In other words, they show a presumptuous and arrogant person intruding into areas of judgment that doesn't doesn't belong to them, that's not assigned to them. It's none of their business. Volunteering his services where they're neither asked for nor needed. Oh, let me, brother, take that, 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 that speck out of your eye when he's got this huge beam in his own. Very presumptuous when he said, oh, let me help you. You see, not only are we not qualified to judge if our character is, a, is, this, is, a, is defective. In other words, if we have a plank in our eye, we're also not qualified to judge if we have no authority in that area. But today, everybody is an authority. I mean, even judges in our legal system sometimes have to recuse themselves for this same reason. Well, you know, th- this isn't my area of, of, of special, specialty. I, this isn't, you know, it, it should go to another judge. But those who take it upon themselves to judge in areas they're not qualified, they're like busybodies. That's what the Bible says. First Peter 4.15, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Peter was saying, you know, if you're going to suffer, suffer for the right things. You know, for the righteousness of Christ, for, for w- the witness of Christ. But don't, don't suffer. Don't be, you know, experiencing, you know, suffering because you're a thief or an evildoer, a busybody or other, because then you deserve it. There's a lot of church people, troublemakers that are like busybodies because they involve themselves in everything. In matters and in, in areas where they have no authority. We are not to judge others only, uh, only where duty calls us to judge. Only if duty is called us to judge, are we to do that. We are not qualified to judge others in every area. I mean, we don't go out and give parking tickets, do we? (laughs) We don't go out and arrest people. It's not our duty. I don't have the authority in those areas to do that. Remember Moses, before he fled to Egypt to go to the desert for 40 years. He had this problem of wrongly, uh, he, he wrongly took a position of judging others. And in Exodus 2.14, when he was asked, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Showed this to be true when Moses tried to help the Israelites. Moses had to wait 40 years before God called him and gave him the authority to be the judge of Israel. Again, the words, let me, also shows a suspicious eagerness to judge. And there's a lot of people who seem just, who just, who just love to find fault. Especially when that fault is in somebody they don't like. Or they're quick to speak up against that person. Oh yeah, I, yeah there's, there's something about that person. They're quick to find a fault in somebody they don't like or an enemy. Or somebody they want to get even with. Why? Because of some previous problem. In Jesus' words, see clearly. He exhorts us not to judge others inaccurately. Prejudice makes judgment inaccurate. 
if we don't like somebody or if we don't see something in, if we see something in that bothers or we just, there's just, you know, we judge inaccurately. And it happens way too often that men form a judgment without any specific or real reason. People will say, yeah, there, there's something about that. Oh, I thought so. You know, I, I just had this feeling just because somebody else made the comment. You jump in. Yeah, you know what? There, I, just, I just had this feeling that, that, you know, there was something about this person. And, and the next thing, you know, this person has, has been, you know, judged and, 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 and accused of things that nobody knows anything about or, or, or don't even exist. Just because of a, 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 a faulty judgment. No real reason for that, for that accusation. Because there's a strong tendency in the human mind to give in to prejudice and to entertain unkind thoughts both against individuals and groups without any real reason. Taking specks out of other people's eyes. Hey, that requires that a person is to be very accurate and have sharp vision to do this. Having a plank in your eye makes it impossible to have good enough vision to be accurate enough to remember or to remove specks from others' eyes. That's why we have to have the lesson on needed accuracy in judging others that Jesus is giving us here. We need it both in the correction of sin and in the exposing of sin. Jesus' whole emphasis here is on accuracy in judgment. And you know what? It's found all through the Bible. Jesus said on another occasion in John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance. Notice which many do, but judge with righteous judgment. Like our father judges with righteous judgment. Proverbs 18, 13 says, wisdom is he who answers a matter before he hears it. It is folly and shame to him. This is wisdom, Solomon said. If a person answers a matter before he hears it, that's folly and a shame to him. And how many people would jump in and just join in when some conversation started green and yeah, yeah, and they, 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 they don't have, they don't have any information. Proverbs 15, 28, and here's, the, here's the, the, the proverb to that. The heart of the righteous, no, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. The righteous person will study, will think before they speak, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. And isn't that perfect? It just, it just flows. In Numbers 9, 6 through 9, we have a great example of waiting on the Lord before making a judgment. Listen to what it says. Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, we became defiled by a human corpse. The law said if you were defiled by a corpse, you had to go through a cleansing process before you could go into the temple and worship. It says we became defiled by a corpse, but why should we be kept from presenting the offering from the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? Listen to what Moses said. Stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Moses didn't just, you know what? He said, wait a minute, you guys, just stand still. Hold on. Let's, let me seek the Lord and find out. Next sentence says, then the Lord spoke to Moses. 
Stand still. He said, so that I can hear what the Lord will command me to say to you. And when Moses stopped and he stood still and he sought the Lord, next sentence is, then the Lord spoke to Moses. Same thing in Numbers 15, 32 through 35, different situation. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. That's a no-no. Working on the Sabbath day, you, you were worthy of death. It says, and those who found him, the people who found the man gathering sticks, brought him to Moses. Notice, they were ready to bring him to Moses. We stoned this guy. It says, they brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. So they put him under guard. Again, kind of like standing still in the last, guy, the last uh, situation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Next sentence, then the Lord said to Moses, same thing. First one said, hey, stand still. Let me hear what the Lord has to say regarding this. Then the Lord spoke. This one here, they put him under guard. They held, they held on. They put him under guard till what needed to be explained should be done to him. And then it says the Lord spoke to Moses. Even God, before he's destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he emphasized this need of accuracy by first checking out the two wicked cities before he judged them. Listen to what he said in Genesis 18, 20 through 21. It says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and because there is sin in, uh, because their sin is very grave. And this is what he says. He says, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. You see, accuracy will stop the harmful judgment of other people. And you know what? We can destroy people, hurt people. Because we make faulty, rash judgments. It will also stop the work of many church troublemakers and gossips who seem to thrive on falsehood and exaggeration. So the self-righteous person can never be anything but a hypocrite because he continually puts on a deceitful act of righteous superiority or that he's better than somebody else. That's why he feels qualified to say, let me, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Let me take care of your problem. Let me tell you what's wrong in your life. Let me straighten you out. Hypocrite, James says in one twenty three twenty four, is like a man who looks at his, his natural face in a mirror. For once he, he, looks, he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. James says he sees, but he doesn't see. And he's like the people that were sent to Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, 9, it says that they would listen, but not understand. They'd look, but they wouldn't see. Why? Because their hearts were unconscious and their ears were dull and they had blurred vision. In closing, let's look at verse 6. Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Christians must exercise good judgment. Because understand, everyone is not a sheep. Everyone is, uh, uh, um, because not everyone is a sheep. Some people are dogs. Some people are pigs, it says here. And some are wolves in sheep's clothing. 
We are the Lord's sheep. But you know what? This doesn't mean that we should let people pull the wool over our eyes. And as God's people, we've been given the privilege to handle the holy things of the Lord. God has entrusted us with his precious word. And you know what? We are to honor his word carefully. We're to honor it. I mean, no dedicated priest in the scripture would throw meat from the altar to a filthy dog. And that's what it says here by not, you know, throwing your, your, your meat to the dogs or your pearls to the swine. No dedicated priest would throw meat from the altar to a filthy dog. Only a fool would give pearls to a pig. And even though it's true that we're to take, we are to take the gospel to every creature, it's also true that we need not cheapen the gospel by a ministry that lacks discernment. Remember, Jesus refused to talk to Herod. Paul would not argue with people who resisted the word of God. So the reason for judgment then is not that we might condemn other people, but that we might be able to minister to them, to reach them with the gospel. And notice that Jesus always dealt with individuals according to their needs and according to their spiritual condition. He didn't have a memorized speech that he used with everybody. He discussed the new birth with Nicodemus, but he spoke about living water to the Samaritan woman. And when the religious leaders tried to trap him, he refused to answer their question. You see, it's a wise Christian who first assesses the condition of a person's heart before he starts sharing the precious pearls of God's word. Father, thank you so much for this informative chapter, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would help us, God, to to learn, God, how to be righteous judges, Lord. And not that we're called to be righteous judges in everything. But in those deals that we, those, those things that we do have to confront, God. Those people that we do have to confront, Lord. Or you lead us to talk to. Lord, let us be of righteous character. Let us be able to, be, to discern between good and evil. Clean and unclean. Righteousness and unrighteousness, God. And Lord, may we not have a beam in our eye, Lord, as we try to reach out to remove a speck in somebody else's eye, God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. We pray this morning that through the truth of God's word, And through the eyes of the scripture and through the eyes of Christ. We will see ourselves clearly. That we are sinners. Every living soul born in this world is is a sinner. Born with that fallen nature. And one day we will be judged. 
not by our peers, but by our, our righteous judge, our Father in heaven. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith. Mm -hmm.